to Glass Onion Minute. This is the movie by minute podcast. We break down the second Benoit Blanc mystery. Glass Onion. We're going to do it one minute of screen time at a time. I am your host for this week. My name is Paul Francis Sullivan. Please, I'm on my knees. I'm begging you. Call me Sully. Today's episode, we are covering minute 52. Minute 52 begins with Benoit Blanc spelling out the concept of the idea of why the guests may want to kill Miles. Team complex. But look what you've done this weekend is crystal clear. You've taken seven people, each of whom has a real-life reason to wish you harm, gathered them together on a remote island, and placed the idea of your murder in their heads. It's like putting a loaded gun on the table and turning off the light. And ends with Benoit Blanc chuckling at the idea of what Duke has in his mind and why he might want to kill Miles. Well, here's someone I certainly don't want to kill. He is the professor. He is a prolific podcaster. And he is my guest again today. Mystery guest, sign in, please. Hello, I'm Professor Robert E.G. Black. Uh, You can find me in about a dozen different Movies by Minute shows as host. Currently, that'd be Groundhog Day Project Minute by Minute. And I've been a guest on quite a few as well. I don't know how many. I would imagine this joke has been made to you already. But Hmm. I would imagine an interesting thing to do for Groundhog Day Minute was just have everyone do Minute 1 over and over. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that's been said, but let me be the 93rd one to say it. Um, Hey, okay, we we covered a lot setting up, and and the last episode I was enraged that this film was not nominated (laughs) for Best Art Direction. I've I've done some yoga. I have centered myself. I've learned to move on. Um, uh, But I will – I'm going to be doing several more minutes. Uh, I have two more weeks that I'm doing. Um, by the time we do the final weeks I'm doing, I am going to look up the names of the people who would have been nominated, the art directors, the production designers, and the set decorators, and see if any of them have already won an Oscar. Because yeah. I, I, I have what I call the Coen Brothers rule. And the Coen Brothers rule is I can't be upset if someone didn't win an Oscar for one film if they've already won an Oscar for another movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, the Coen brothers should have won for Raising Arizona and Miller's Crossing. Yeah, but they each have four Oscars. Right. Don't cry for them. They have Oscars. I almost, I almost want to call it the Barbara Streisand rule because I remember there were people who were so upset when she was not nominated for either Yentl or as director for Prince of Tides. She was nominated as a producer for Prince of Tides. Yeah. I remember saying to someone, said the, someone said to me, the Oscars have it in for Barbara Streisand. And I pointed out she has two Oscars. Yeah. You know, she has an Oscar as a songwriter and as an actress. So she has two, which is one more than Stanley Kubrick ever won. Um, so it's at one point you got to be like, okay. Anyway, this is not Oscar. I should probably do an Oscar podcast because I get obsessive about the Oscars. But that's neither here nor there. Um, I love at the beginning of this minute, again, in the, that phenomenal set, which has the uh, – we, we see Edward Norton there kind of slumped in the see-through chair with the glass onion neon over the you know, screen left. And uh, Benoit has a line, and I, and I, 
I, I forgot about this until you and I, until I just reviewed the minute just before I hit record here. Yeah. That Menwa has the line of, you know, it's crystal clear and something. And then as he says that, Edward Norton gives a look like he's a confused dog. Like yeah. it's clear, something's clear. He has no I, idea what what, it is. I have no idea what's happening. I don't know what you're talking about right now. And I, I, I think I may have mentioned this in the previous minutes, so forgive me, listeners, if I'm repeating myself. But the movie by minute that I did was um, Bull Durham, which is a film I absolutely love. And one of the things that's great about it is Tim Robbins. It's my favorite Tim Robbins performance because Tim Robbins is a very <laughs> smart actor playing a dumb guy. And it's fun oh, to yeah, watch yeah. a smart actor playing someone who's dumb. Not some, and, 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 and he's not comically dumb. He's just a dumb 22-year-old kid who doesn't know anything, who's been handed everything because he's a great baseball player. But there are moments when he's in a room and Susan Sarandon and Kevin Costner are talking and he has an expression on his face like going like, the grown-ups are talking. I don't know what they're talking about. I can't follow the conversation. And that's the ex- and, and when you have a smart actor like Tim Robbins playing someone who's playing someone who's trying to keep pace and can't do it, and you're seeing this now with Edward Norton, who's obviously a very smart actor playing that, but there's an extra layer on the, on this onion, which is he's a guy who's not too bright, but everyone assumes is a genius. And he's going like, (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. I, I, my, my fake genius powers aren't working with this guy. Uh, now I'm confused. And and that's, uh, I don't know. It's a fabulous, it's just, it's a very subtle moment. You know, it's kind of a, a you know a look he gives to the side. It's like, uh oh, you know, you know. Well, even when Benoit Chris explains it, he's yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, hey, he, that's not what I did. What? Yeah, yeah. He raises his eyebrow. Yeah, the moment is when he kind of raises his eyebrows and looks to the side, like, wait, what? Oh, oh. <laughs> come on. So you play Harple with Lionel. Threaten to destroy his reputation if he does not play along and power man rocket with Clear. No, with Clear too. Now perhaps you threaten to support her opponent in the up and coming election if she does not approve your power plant. You have done some homework. I'm Birdie, Bangladesh. Sweetie pants are manufactured there in a sweatshop. You're making Birdie take the fall to cover your ass as the main investor. Huh? Huh? I, I thought I. I thought I what i was doing <laughs> oh it's fabulous oh, sorry i didn't mean to step on you right there what were you saying no it's just uh, the, i mean the memoir explains that thing that's crystal clear and he's still like that that's not what i did <laughs> i just had friends over for a party yeah yeah, yeah it's it's he still doesn't uh, get it yeah he doesn't get it at all and so this is i mean again you have a film where you have movie stars having fun that I'm going to compare this, and this is going to say, and look, at this is obviously a very well-crafted movie. It's a film, it's a very well-written movie, it's a well-crafted movie, it's a beautifully shot movie, it's a beautifully acted movie. But there is a love boat quality to this. Oh, yeah. In that it's beautiful locations, famous people, and those famous people are having fun. That's mm-hmm. one of the allure when you used to watch Love Boat or Fantasy Island, is to see who the guest stars are. It's yeah. even before they roll credits, they would have the little, the the port window and you'd see Florence Henderson, Ephraim Zemelis Jr., Cesar Romero, 
Billy Crystal as the kissing bandit, you know, <laughs> McLean Stevenson, you know, <laughs> and every once in a while, a uh, like and a once really famous actor whose agent said, look, at I, I booked you a love boat. So it'd be like Joseph Cotton. You're like, wait, <laughs> Joseph Cotton is on the love boat. Yes. Yeah. Jesus. Got to pay. Got to pay for that house in Sherman Oaks. Well, you um, pay for your SAG membership so you get insurance. But watching famous people having fun, yeah, is the appeal of this. And so you're watching. So let's hand the reins over. This is one of this is one of Daniel Craig's best moments in the film. Is and they yeah. do the zoom in, or I mean, it's not a zoom in, but a truck in. Yeah. And Ryan Johnson, whatever you think about his other movies, and I have some mixed thoughts, but I really love the Knives Out movies, and I really like. The, the show Poker Face. Yes. And he doesn't seem to do a lot of things by accident. And the previous minutes that I did were the ones when everyone was coming on the pier and where people were placed on screen, everything was done intentionally. Very we'll get clearly. some of that, I think, next minute when we cut to downstairs. And everyone but knows. in this moment, as uh, Benoit is explaining... That it's like, you know, you're basically putting a loaded gun on the, the table and it moves in on him like it's kind of a reveal. I'm now clarifying it. Then they cut back to Edward Norton, who does a whoa, like <laughs> slow down. And then when they cut back to Daniel Craig, the camera is back again. Yep. It's as if to say you're almost seeing that scene from Edward Norton's point of view. It's like, do you understand? No, I don't. OK, let's go back to one. He needs to give you more detail. Like, I got to give you more. Okay, I have to. I, I thought I was spelling it out for you, but apparently, let's. Okay, let's bring it back. And so, and so, the camera literally goes back to the point after, like you know, we've moved into the great close-up of Daniel Craig, and he's doing his big old, you know, he's his thing, and then like we, like he doesn't get it. So, I need to really spell it out for you. So let's put the camera back there so we can keep doing it. It's almost. The um, <laughs> I didn't think I was going to make a reference to this shot, but uh, it's it's the cinematic equivalent of Robert Stack with the sunglasses on an airplane, and uh, <laughs> with Lloyd Bridges, he take whips off the one pair of sunglasses and another pair underneath it. All right, let's get one thing straight, and then and then all right, well let's take and then he was able to take the second one off. It was it's <laughs> like I have to do this gesture more than once for you to be able to get this. All right. I was thinking, yeah, if there's if there were a dumb pun in it, it'd be that uh, CSI Miami thing, where he yeah. took his glasses off to for his dramatic line. But if he, if, if he had two or three of those in a row, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but again, I I love I love that this film exists for the reason of seeing like what I love so much in um, the first Knives Out was seeing the guy that we associate you know, for an entire generation, this is their only James Bond, yeah. playing this kind of over-the-top Foghorn Leghorn character. And then so many people who had iconic roles, like you know Chris Evans as Captain America, uh, Christopher Plummer as Captain Von Trapp, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, Laurie Strode, uh, you know, Don Johnson from Miami Vice, all playing... 180 degrees from those characters. Yep. 
um, was that was part of the fun. And Michael Shannon, who's an extraordinary dramatic actor, having the funniest lines in the movie. Uh, <laughs> I mean, having that sort of fun is there. Uh, and this to see, you know, just to see these two kind of playing against what we would expect to see them in a movie. Mm-hmm. And there's so many, Edward Norton does so much acting with his eyes in this movie. And a lot of it is kind of him bluffing like, Oh, I kind of get what you're saying, but it's so clear that he's, well, that's uh, his whole personality is. Yeah. He just plays along and gives people what they want or what he thinks they want. And, you know, he says at one point you've done your homework, you know, because he's so, which, which catches him off guard because right. he's so used to people who he can only deal with on the surface who yeah. would never do homework. Right. Who wouldn't even cross their mind to look into what he's saying or doing. It, it also is that you've done your, some homework implies he, he's starting to realize Benoit might know more than he sh- wants him to know. Yeah. And Miles is someone who has to be, he has to have everyone in control of him. Or in, in control of them. In meant. his control, yeah. In, in his control, thank you. Words are hard. Um, <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes they are. That's like um, this minute he says a rocket with clear, but now with Claire. And I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. And I got confused for a minute at the dialogue. They, he needs to have people, he, he doesn't know how to react to people who are not willing to be at his beck and call. And this is, um, again, I think I made, I can't remember if I did this, made this reference on, on this show or Bull Durham Minute, but um, I'm reminded of there's a a quote that Matt Damon said in an interview where, you know, uh, the uh, Edward Norton's co-star from Rounders, uh, it was along the lines of, if you're famous, you are permanently the age you are when you become famous. Oh yeah. So at least psychologically. Yep. So if if you become famous, you're an athlete. You're always going to be a twenty year old jock. If you became famous when you're later, you'll have a better perspective. If you're famous when you're a kid, your life is screwed up. But you're perpetually <laughs> at that. Yeah, and that's not fair because there are some child actors who I who exist that they don't they don't. It's not all, you know, they don't all go bananas. But still, no, I think the point is is fair. And you know, the Miles character has probably became famous and powerful at a young age and now it's just perpetually that kid who's gonna you know that that college age person buying lava lamps and uh will put up a picture of Shea Guevara because it looks cool yeah. and not have any knowledge of who Shea Guevara is or what he did right and that's to and and we'll see when we go back into the house that his uh you know, his collection of art is like everything else, just right on the surface. But he can't, he, he doesn't know how to deal with Benoit. He doesn't know why he's there. And he's there. It's like, oh, you're not, I can't just play you like everybody else. And he's having, he just, he doesn't know how to deal with it. Well, right. He didn't plan for, uh, what's her name, Peg to be there either. But mm-hmm. she's not talkative and getting in the way. So he probably doesn't even notice her anymore. Well, Peg Benoit just exists. <laughs> yeah, you know, Peg just exists to, uh, you know, you know, Peg exists to make sure that Birdie doesn't fall into the ocean right. and drown. 
Miles understands. You know, she probably, she, so, yeah, and so Miles knows that you know that that you know she's just there to to make sure Peg comes back alive, <laughs> and 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 doesn't have enough uh, um, doesn't have the bandwidth. Um, the other the other person who was not part of their group. I'm going to refer to her in the next minute because it's uh, when it gets to the end. We're going through all the different reasons, you know, the sweatshop, uh, backing the other candidate, uh, you know, pushing for the uh, the the energy, and then he says, "Duke." Well, <laughs> he kind of ch- and it just chuckles at the end. And for those, you know, this is not spoiling. This is referring back. We have already seen that Benoit has caught the fact that. Uh, uh, whiskey, Duke's uh, girlfriend, and Miles are are having an affair. Yeah, and they think they're well. Again, I'm going to save my powder on that. I'm going to keep my powder dry because I have some thoughts on that's, that's on uh, yeah. Edward Norton's uh, yeah Edward Norton's reaction to that. But uh, but yeah, that's uh, where 52 ends. Uh, Professor, do you have anything else you want to talk about before we move on to the next minute here? Ah, uh, no, I think we covered this minute pretty well. Yeah, it's two good actors having fun. Yeah, in a film that isn't a comic book, and it's a minute where a, the Benoit as a character, and also this movie is telling us what is happening. Mm-hmm. And similar to Knives Out, and we're like, "Well, yeah, but and like we know there's more. Benoit knows there's more. Miles knows there's more, but maybe doesn't know exactly." But, and but there's so much yeah, going on when it's all on the surface. It's that metaphor from last minute. But like in the original Knives Out, this is similar to the scene when they're all being interviewed by the uh, by the police officer, and Benoit is alone by the piano, and we see that they're testifying one thing in the interrogation. Yeah. But the reality doesn't exactly purport what they're saying. Right. And part of the heavy lifting of that scene was done by say it with me the art direction which for some reason was not nominated okay it all comes back it all comes back okay we'll look at i swear i'm done complaining that the art direction was not nominated for best art direction and uh someone with photoshop rendering avatar did um i hear it's almost over the screening i went to in january um guess what uh where tell people where they can follow you again uh lemmingdrops.com is my website that'll get you links to social media or if you just want to see my occasional retweets of politics or autism content robert eg black on twitter there you go and i am uh my personal account is at sully baseball that will link you to also locked on mlb which is my podcast i do for the lockdown podcast network and for this show please 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 follow us at glass onion min on twitter and review rate subscribe on your podcatcher of choice well guess what the professor and i are going to hang around for minute 53 because the reason why duke may want to kill miles is going to come up And we're going to see how much more confusion we can have in the Glass Onion Room on the next episode of Glass Onion Minute.